Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The North American International Auto Show is back, and that means the future of the auto companies is again the topic of conversation. As always, one theme is how much of that future will be electric. We're at kind of a crossroads right now with electric vehicles, stuck between generations. But the need to get past the internal combustion engine couldn't be greater. CO2 emissions spiked in the U.S. last year, largely because of cars and other forms of transportation. Dan Neal is an automotive columnist for The Wall Street Journal. He won the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism in 2004 while writing about cars for the Los Angeles Times. He says, if you're thinking about making the jump to an electric vehicle, wait. A whole new world is just around the corner. Dan Neal. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Nice to be here. And welcome to Detroit. Of course, uh, I want to start with uh, your impressions of the show, at uh, what I ask everybody this time of year. Uh, compare it to years past, and uh, then uh, cast forward a little bit when next year we'll do this all at a different time of the year. Yes, uh, that's the idea. Anyway, the um, uh, who knows what will happen in what, where the car industry and the, indeed the world will be in 18 months when the <laughs> Detroit Auto Show emerges from this chrysalis that uh, they're uh, uh, coming into. But uh, uh, yes, it's uh, it was a much smaller show, right? It's much more regional, much more provincial, if you will. You know, it focused on the big three's uh, uh, products, which have yet to sort of uh, acknowledge the transition in uh, energy uh, that's happening in the rest. It's being uh, uh, directed um, in the rest of the world, in Europe and China, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, th- so it feels a little bit uh, funereal. It was uh, there was a very large area of uh, very you know strange tricked out cars which wouldn't have made the cut in the old days, and uh, because uh, there's more floor space because there's lots fewer manufacturers. more yeah lots more floor what, space. What what is the explanation for the foreign automakers pulling away from the show, which is not just happening this year? That's been going on for a bit. Yeah. Well, I think it is a sign of the uh, the regionalism of the U.S. market uh, and in. In particular, the Midwesternism of the Detroit show, um, the luxury markets are Florida, New York, California. And so Detroit, those luxury car makers like Bentley and Rolls-Royce, although Bentley and Rolls-Royce are here sort of on the periphery, I noticed that a lot of car makers have set up operations just on the fringes of the show. And uh, so uh, because uh, another issue, I think, is the show is very expensive for uh, the PR departments to put on. And so that's uh, another driver, but they're still going to Los Angeles, for instance, yeah. uh, for yeah. the for the auto show there. What is it about that show that's more attractive than Detroit? Oh well, I mean, Mercedes and BMW sell most of their cars in the U.S. and California. All Teslas, uh, you know, all of the luxury brands have their big spikes in in those three markets. Uh, but certainly Southern California, and my God, you can walk, not even touch the asphalt. You can just walk on Teslas in the 310 <laughs> area code. Uh, and uh, so, yes, they're very, very, uh, they have a high concentration in California. But, you know, <clears throat> it's interesting, too, these car shows are going to change uh, as uh, Tesla is a good example, you know, they're moving away from the retail experience of buying cars. So while they're being de-emphasized in terms of news, consumers love these things. And so for that reason, car shows, uh, e- even the Detroit show, I shouldn't say even, but uh, the Detroit show included, will probably not go away because there will always be this, it's an emerging and opening space for consumers to touch and feel without having to go to a car dealership. Yeah, and and the technology, the influence of technology on cars 
is something now we show off pretty pretty profoundly at these shows, right? Oh yes, yes. In fact, the you know the the, the hardest thing about a new car and the source of many of the original complaints of uh, owners is the uh, the how confusing the center part of the the center stack they call it, mm-hmm. and you know they have all kinds of um, uh, user interface issues. And if they can get consumers comfortable with that technology, they love the car. And so car shows are a way to sort of get their feet wet in that without, you know, without doing the full download. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about electric cars. Uh, as I said in the open, we're kind of between generations here where generation one is being phased out and we're not quite, I feel like, to the full generation two in some ways. And so... Uh, when GM announced that it was not going to make the Volt anymore, I, I heard a lot of people say, "Well, that's the death of those electric cars. That's you know that was a fad. It's going away." But of course, GM has the Bolt, which is the successor mm-hmm. to the Volt, and you've got Tesla uh, selling you know an all electric line and selling pretty well in markets other than Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of where we are with this idea of moving away from internal combustion toward electric. Okay. Well, uh, this is uh, about to, you got to look at the world stage. Uh, China in, uh, in about 2012 decided they were going to raise mandates on foreign and domestic automakers to uh, decarbonize the rolling fleet. How they've done it is it's very structural and there's a lot of give and take, but the net of it is that China, the world's largest car market and uh, the center of gravity in car manufacturing uh, now on a global basis. Uh, and as an outlier, Tesla over in North America, which has been you know a technology leader uh, before the fact, right? And, and Tesla also does good business in China. Yeah. Anyway, China has these mandates and they are driving uh, the cost of these, uh, this technology down, 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 down. For example, uh, in 2008, when I was here at the Detroit Auto Show, the cost of a lithium battery in the Volt was it was eleven hundred and something dollars per kilowatt hour. Uh, Elon Musk is now getting uh, paying about one hundred and four dollars per kilowatt hour ten years later. So that is uh, a tenth in ten years, ninety percent right. reduction. Right, and when you start looking at the economies of scale and you start looking about the con- component costs, uh, very very soon, electric cars are going to be cheaper to make buy, and of course they already are cheaper to use than conventional IC cars. And besides that, IC cars are being uh, you know, uh, eliminated by legislative fiat. So, so what explains then walking away from something like the Volt? People are misreading that as walking away from electric. Well, it is a question how long the big three, if you want the Detroit three, can maintain this bubble uh, against uh, a changing uh, global scene. Um, yeah, I think that uh, they probably uh, will eventually. They, Cadillac is going to be the new face of uh, EVs of electric, for uh, yeah. for General Motors, but that's three years out. And uh, uh, my question is, what the heck is taking them so long? Uh, if uh, they and yes, they they, they cancel the bolt the volt because uh, passenger car sales were soft overall, and they were uh, uh, reaching the end of their credits. And really, you know, the, the 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 theory that's driving General Motors plans these days is how much to how to maximize their profit. And so they've peeled away everything that wasn't super profitable, including the volt production. And uh, so they're left without, uh, you know, a plug-in hybrid uh, in the market. 
So, so are we are we right to say then that we're behind here in Detroit? That would uh, well, I think that's would be that would be yeah no it's uh, <laughs> but listen there's there are strategic uh, uh, benefits to being second or third or even last in you know from a corporate governance standpoint. You know, they kind of want it two, ba- two ways. The investment class wants a bubblicious stock that, you know, just goes <laughs> crazy. And, uh, and, but you can't, they won't allow uh, these companies to reinvest, to reinvent. And so uh, they're at this point now where they're contracting, they're managing their contraction. When you talk about the, uh, the, the hookup between Ford and Volkswagen, this is all a, a global strategy to consolidate costs, manage the contraction, uh, because there's going to be a pretty, you know, significant dip. You're right. The the uh, and we can't. This is another important point. In terms of carbon, we cannot produce and consume our way out of uh, uh, more carbon. It is a, an illusion. And uh, so the automobile itself and the use thereof and the personal mobility device has got to be reevaluated. Fortunately, technology provides other means. So, so so we we are not we're not out of the game. We're just maybe. Uh-huh. Trailing a little bit. Well, there, as I say, the other benefit instead of hair. The other benefit is that General Motors and Ford and all these companies can lay out uh, and see the component costs on a global tier one product, supply side keep going down, 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 and then they can jump in. One of the things about electrification, electric car design, the iterative phase is much shorter. Um, and the component commonality among platforms is much greater. So design space should be smaller, right? It should go, go by quicker. Yeah. And uh, so that's, my, uh, that's what I think that uh, the waiting game uh, is about. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And my guest is Dan Neal, an automotive columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, also won the Pulitzer Prize in 2004 for criticism while writing for the Los Angeles Times. We're talking about... The North American International Auto Show and the presence of electric vehicles there, the direction that the industry is headed with electric vehicles. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you think about electric vehicles. Are you somebody who's driving an electric vehicle? Are you excited about the prospects for those vehicles to get cheaper and better, maybe faster uh, than, than they are now? Um, or are you somebody who's really skeptical about this and you think uh, internal combustion is the way that uh, vehicles should be powered now and forever? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Courtney on Twitter says, In the last 13 years, I've had an 06 Ford Escape HEV. 10 years, 151,000 miles. Uh, leased a 2015 C-Max Energy, and now own a 2016 C-Max Energy. Excited for the cargo potential of the Ford Explorer HEV. That is somebody with who's a really early adopter. I'll of, say, of I, good, for, good for you. I'm doing really God's amazing. work out there. That's right. Uh, Ed on Twitter says, looking at the Chevy Spark EV, mm. electric car built in Lake Orion here in the mm-hmm. suburbs. Uh, but remember, there is a carbon footprint to make that new car you are buying. And that's a good reminder that uh, of what you just said, that, that this is not uh, an, an entirely green or clean solution to our problems. It's just a reduction. Right. And uh, this brings up an important policy a notion, and that is the danger of zero. Uh, we are not going to get to zero on any of these fronts, uh, but we won't get anywhere if we don't start. 
Uh, and I think that there's a lot of paralysis uh, uh, and or let's say inertia, certainly inertia because there are self-interested parties who want to maintain the status quo in terms of the design and construction of the automobile. Uh, but also a certain also a certain inertia uh, with regard to adoption because people are waiting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We've already got a lot of folks who want to talk about electric cars. Uh, Michael in Detroit, you're up first. Welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, um, I just wanted to comment, like uh, earlier you mentioned that Tesla does well, but not in the Detroit area. Um, I think the real reason that is, and I actually have to go pick up my Tesla from Ohio is because the legislature takes too much money from the dealership association. So they were told, hey, don't allow Tesla to sell direct. Yeah. So they banned Tesla from selling directly to consumers. They have a Somerset Mall shop, but they can't sell out of it. Mm-hmm. And I had to go all the way to Ohio just to pick up my car. So, Michael, you're driving a Tesla? Right now. And, and what do you think of it? It is the best car I've ever driven wow. in my life. And I don't think I will ever go back to a car that takes gasoline. Wow. I, it's like getting LASIK surgery. I saw <laughs> one in my glass. You can now see clearly. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> I stopped having to make appointments to get my oil changed or uh-huh. tires rotated or any of that, and I don't even notice that. Wow. This is a beautiful wow, story. Mike, I know. That is that is like a Tesla commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, may I just say that he's absolutely right, and that franchise laws in uh, the 50 states prevent Tesla from selling direct to the public. Franchise car dealerships are among the most protected industries in America, mm-hmm. and uh, because they're so vitally critical to rural America, many places, you know, the only businesses in uh, are there are car dealerships. So yeah. So so if you if you're not going to be able to buy a Tesla at a dealer anytime soon, what what does that say for their their market share? What does that say for for the stability of of their sales? I mean, of Teslas? Yeah. Mm, they're going to be fine. So uh, right. Yeah, they'll be just fine. They're uh, selling <laughs> as many as they can build and they've got a factory going in uh, next to the Gigafactory in Nevada and they've got a factory going in uh in in China. Uh, and they are building batteries and cars as hard and fast as they can. Yeah, and yeah. And, and you and you know this testimonial just heard. I swear I never heard anybody say anything different that they don't like their. Testimony. Yeah, I've never heard saying. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike and Troy, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Great topic today. I appreciate it. Uh, I uh, we were just speaking yesterday uh, about this very topic about how some of the larger OEMs aren't showing up to the to the Detroit Auto Show anymore. And you made a great point about uh, you know the the market and and the vehicles that are uh, pertinent to the Midwest. Uh, but one point I wanted to make was about risk management and developing new technology. Uh, I work in the industry. I'm, I'm I work directly with Tesla. I've I developed uh, uh, parts for the Model S uh, in 2012-2011. Um, they're very risk-averse uh, compared to many of the larger OEMs. So their uh, their ability to take chances to uh, to take uh, to take more risk uh, hmm. is is much different than what you would see at GM or a Ford or many of the larger OEMs. I would I would challenge anyone to say that uh, that the vehicles that GM will be coming out with in the future will far surpass anything that Tesla has to offer. Um, they're, yeah. they're, 
testing, their, their, their development, their validation methods are far more superior to what Tesla has to offer. And uh, there'll be much more reliable, much more safer vehicles coming up. Wow. Um, Tesla warranty numbers are some of the largest in, in the industry because they rush their, their product to market fast. I'm not knocking Tesla. They have a very good product. Uh, it's selling like crazy, as you pointed out, but they don't really have any tough competition in the market yet. Uh, Mike, I, I really appreciate the call on that perspective. Daniel, do you agree with uh, what he's saying there about the difference between sort of legacy automakers and, and startups like Tesla? Uh, yeah, to an extent. Now, you know, when uh, he's absolutely right. And this is because Tesla is a creature of financial markets. It had to move faster than really the industry could, that at, at flat out, it could move and so, um, so there was always a little margin between their reach and their grasp. Uh, now, some people saw that as being, you know, just uh, being uh, uh, dishonest with investors. But uh, over time, we've seen these, this cycle where, like, Model S had a high number of initial complaints. They sorted them out. Model X... Uh, sort of, you know, uh, was uh, over-indexed for faults because it was uh, it had a lot of problems, and it's still, you know, it's a very advanced and uh, uh, how to say uh, ambitious design. Model Three, uh, again, you know, uh, I'm not sure where they stand on warranty claims of Model Three, but it is true that Tesla doesn't have any competition, but it's about to get some competition. Um, it, it, there's one uh, item I should say, the Jaguar I-Pace. Um, is uh, it, 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 the first bash by a major OEM to compete in Tesla space. And uh, this is a great example because the iPACE is about 30 to 40% less efficient uh, uh, technically, that is in terms of range and, uh, and, and uh, efficiency, than the Tesla. So Tesla has a real technical lead. I, would, I estimate it to be anywhere between five and six years. Wow. Wow, and uh, they're not behind. And General Motors will never catch Tesla uh, at by if they don't start. And uh, never mind, uh, there's also Volkswagen spending close to forty billion dollars in ten years. So they, you know, I think they got to get on the stick if they want to compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, again, thanks for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Jarellas in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. You there? Hello. Hey, Jarellas, uh, what's uh, on your mind? You go ahead. Um, yeah, my comment about it, uh, the car is okay if you're doing family things or whatever, but when it comes to working, moving, power, whatever, things, if, if the, the car vehicles is, is trash, it don't have enough power. To you don't feel like there's enough power and electricity to do bigger no. things? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, uh, Daniel, is that true? Is that true now? And maybe uh, one of the things that the technology will overcome, or is that just not so. Can you have mm. a moving van, for instance, that's electric? And an airplane. Or an And airplane. heavy trucks and all sorts of transportation and ocean transport that can be battery powered. Yes, what we're finding is that in terms of energy efficiency and cost, uh, uh, electrics are uh, uh, more efficient, more cost efficient. Now, uh, as far as not having the power, you know, an electric motor produces peak torque at zero RPM. And uh, so, uh, and that is, I mean, trains, for example, hybrid trains are electrically powered because they have this torque uh, at the low end. And uh, uh, so there's plenty of power available with uh, electric motors. And this thing, Rivian, this Rivian pickup truck that uh, showed at the Los Angeles Auto Show, not here, uh, has, uh, I think it's uh, 14,000 uh, uh, newton meters of torque uh, at the wheel. So plenty of torque. Hmm. 
Okay, Jarellis, uh, thanks for the call and the comments. Amy on Facebook says, we have two electric vehicles. One is the Volt, the other is the Spark, which we went out of our way to acquire <laughs> uh, since, uh, hold on here, I've lost my little place here, since they aren't in a great quantity here in Michigan, despite being produced here. My mm. one holdout is my truck. I haul a horse trailer, and I look forward to electric innovations with trucks and hauling and battery capability. I think it'll be beneficial if we have the state install high-level chargers to encourage more folks to realize their range is so great. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that's somebody uh, talking about the power question. Uh, another question, though, is also affordability, right? Mm -hmm. uh, are, are these cars for the average buyer within reach yet? Um, yeah, the the uh, the calculation is a little bit different. The uh, cost of ownership is uh, has a a, a crossing point, right, where you're, uh, it's cheaper to own an electric car than a gas-powered car. That's the case today. The cost of ownership are much lower. How long does it take to recoup those, that difference? Uh, that depends on how much you pay for electricity and what other kind of cars you're comparing it to. Uh, but affordability is absolutely key. Now, in the early days of this technology, uh, it w they were premium products. Uh, this is the thing. You know, General Motors started with Chevy, uh, Volt, and Bolt. That was a strategic decision in 2008. They could have followed the Tesla model, rather, and made the Cadillac their electric uh, uh, standard bearer uh, back then. But uh, and because there was always this tension between you know General Motors, the people's uh, car company, and uh, and the, the electric vehicles. So, but anyway, much of that is uh, being resolved, as I say, by these uh, persuasive economies of scale and component costs uh, reductions uh, around the world. Okay. All right, Dan Neal, automotive columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for being here on Detroit today. Well, Thank you, Stephen. We'll see Pleasure. you next June. I'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, we're going to continue our conversation about electric vehicles. This time, we're going to talk to another electric vehicle enthusiast, someone who is not high on the conversation about climate change, but just thinks electric vehicles are fantastic. So stay with us for that. Also, remember that if you have to miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Jack in Boston Edison, Patty in Detroit, Mike in Southfield, Jeff in Farmington, Mike in Chesterfield. We will get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Henry Payne is a conservative and a climate change skeptic, but he drives a Tesla. Why? Because he says the upstart electric vehicle company simply makes the best car on the road. He says he loves his Tesla Model 3, and in fact, he says that was the car of the year in 2018. Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Good, yeah. good to be with you. So you and I have had this conversation before. You, uh, We were together on Flashpoint at WDIV, and you could not stop talking about your Tesla and how much you liked it. Uh, talk about how you came to pick this car, and what is it about driving it that you love so much? 
Well, I, I uh, as as your lead says, I, I'm not a green. I, I um, yes, I, this is something we could argue about probably yeah. for the entire show. Yeah, is climate change, right? Yeah. And we have no agreement on that. I don't think. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, that's not my. <laughs> that's not my religion. And and uh, I, I'm a I'm a motorhead. I love cars. Uh, have um, you know grew up around cars, uh, race cars all my life, and. Uh, and uh, the tes- Tesla for me is is it's not only a brilliant car, um, it's the only viable uh, auto startup in my lifetime. I mean, it's a fascinating as a journalist, it's a fascinating story uh, to follow. And and uh, the first uh, Tesla I drove was back um, I don't know 2013 2014. Uh, drove a Model S, was blown away by the car. Uh, totally totally different approach to the car. It was a performance car. Uh, which is what I'm in the market for. It was not a Toyota Prius. It was not a uh, Chevy Volt. It wasn't preaching green to me. It was it was it was a preaching, preaching performance, performance. Yeah. And uh, and and a uh, and and a beautiful design. And uh, I buy BMWs. I buy uh, Porsches, Fords. I, I like uh, you know Ford Ford Mustangs. I like I like good looking performance cars. So the Tesla Model S was right up my alley, but. I couldn't afford it, and uh, <laughs> a, you know it's a pricey car, right? Yeah. So uh, when the Tesla Model Three uh, came into market, uh, I, I was uh, fascinated by the car, uh, but but also fascinated in fo- following the story. Here, here's a startup automaker uh, uh, coming in with a brilliant car, but trying, to, but a true disruptive company trying to do things different in every aspect of the game. Uh, from from the the car, the car operating system, the dealer network, uh, the dealer service uh, plan, and and so I um, um, when the, when the Model Three uh, went up for orders and gosh, whenever that was, <laughs> two thousand <laughs> April two thousand sixteen, I thought I want to be part of this story, and so I, I ordered one. Yeah, um, uh, this is kind of a surprising pick for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, you're an auto critic for Detroit paper. Uh, the idea of you know buying a, a Tesla, I, I wouldn't imagine, is terribly popular with some of the people you cover. Um, uh, but but talk about the reaction that you get when uh, you tell people you're driving this car. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I'm a West Virginia boy. Um, uh, worked in Washington D.C. for years, and the, the ethic for most of my lifetime has been buy American. You know that's that's always been the uh, uh, sort of the political mantra when it comes to cars. So it is kind of funny being coming to Detroit. Love, I came came here, love the town, love the ethic. Uh, but but um, uh, there is a parochialism here that's even narrower than you by American. Kidding. It's by Detroit. By Detroit. I mean, Tesla is an American car. It's an American car company. It's part of this brilliant uh, uh, digital revolution. It's uh, being led by Silicon Valley. That's transforming every industry from uh, bookstores to uh, automobiles. And uh, so I, I I don't quite get the uh, the resistance <laughs> to Tesla. I mean, a lot of a lot of people from this town well, some of have been hired about, by Tesla. A lot of yeah. their engineering, a lot of their manufacturing talent is, is from this town. But I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right that it is that provincialism, and 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 I caught myself there when you were talking. I call it a foreign car because I'm a Detroiter, right? Yeah. If it's not a, a Detroit automaker, it's not a, it's not a domestic in 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 our minds. Uh, and I, and I think one of the things that Elon Musk is doing is is pushing back against that. Uh, but but I, I think that's a tough that's a tough argument to make around here, isn't it? 
Well, I, I, I guess. I, I just, like I say, it's, it's, it's a great car. This is a car town. And uh, I, I find a lot of people that find it a brilliant car here. Yeah, there, there is there is resistance. There is pro and con. I, and, and a lot of it seems to be resistance to Elon Musk. He's a very controversial character. He's an interesting guy. Right? And, I, and I tell folks, imagine if Henry Ford had had a Twitter account. I mean, <laughs> right? What would that have been like? Yeah, right. Yeah, instead, instead of, uh, uh, you know, instead of creating a newspaper in Dearborn to uh, air his views, right. Imagine if he had had a Twitter account. So I mean, these 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 uh, people. I mean, whether they're St- Steve Jobs or Henry Ford or Elon Musk, they're they're extraordinary individuals. They're innovators. They're, they're innovators. Yeah. They're they're bigger in life people, and and they're often controversial. So that kind of comes with the comes with the territory. So what do you think that the the Detroit automakers can learn from a company like Tesla? Well, I don't know if it's so much learning. I mean, I think one of the the things Tesla has done, as as I say, is just come to the come to the space with a clean sheet. And that's these these are very mature corporations, Ford, um, uh, and, and their brands, Ford, Cadillac, uh, Cadillac trying has been trying to compete head up against Tesla, but uh, but 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 they're mature brands. They they have their own brand uh, identity. Uh, they they have a way of doing things. So I, uh, to to me, that's the that's what's wonderful about company companies like Tesla, like Apple, like Amazon that come in and they just look at a space in a different way. So I I think that's very hard for anybody to compete against. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and I was listening to uh, Dan Neal on your pre- previous segment. There's a lot of buzz out there uh, for the Jaguar I Pace. Um, it's it's the first uh, electric car to really go head to head in the market. Against the Tesla Model S and and against the Model Three to some degree, um, I don't know that people with that kind of coin, with sixty eighty thousand dollars, do they want to buy an electric Jaguar? You know, I think a lot of people look at Jaguar as it's, that's 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 a muscle brand. That's I want to get in and in, into a. Uh, a Jaguar and hear the Jaguar growl. I want to hear that, that yeah. noise, right? I mean, what Tesla's done is establish an exclusively electric brand, and the operating system is totally different. I find it. A, I find Tesla's much the Tesla Model Three and Model S much superior to the Jaguar I Pace because it is a totally different experience when you get in the car. You get into the Jaguar, and it's a silent cat. I'm not sure that worked. <laughs> right. That's. A, I, I guess I didn't think of that that way. I've I've been talking with. Some people who've been testing that car, they say it's wonderful yeah. that it, that it, that it performs car. really great. But but that that uh, I guess that environmental experience, uh, that noise, uh, you don't you wouldn't get that in an electric vehicle. Yeah, brand, brand is such a powerful thing, and that, and that and again, it's just amazing. I mean, you you look at these brands that have come out of uh, of Silicon Valley in just a decade and have become household names like Tesla, like Uber, Lyft. Even in this town, these uh, these little uh, scooter scooters in town, like mm-hmm. Bird and and um, um, uh, um, Lime, uh, and, uh, yeah, and Lime, yeah. have just become household names overnight. Night, I mean the the branding is is brilliant, and and that's a huge advantage that Tesla has in the in the uh, electric space. Yeah, uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Jeff in Farmington Hills. Jeff. Welcome to Detroit. Yes, hi, how are you? Good. Uh, and listen, I feel blessed. You have my two favorite automotive columnists oh, in the world go. on the same forum. <laughs> Thank you very much. Dan Neal's, uh, it's one of the reasons I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal is for his Friday uh, you know, auto evaluations. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan's I a wonderful him, writer. You know, c- concerned about the range anxiety issues and temperature drain issues. I, 
I drive a lot to, say, to Chicago and Indianapolis, which are both almost exactly, you know, 300 miles, which is the kind of the upper edge of range, you know, right now. And, and uh, I'm concerned if I did that on a cold day, you know, would I make it, you know, if I left Detroit with a full charge? Mm. I, I think that's a really great point, Jeff. And, and I don't know enough about the experience with electric cars to know how much that ends up changing your, your life choices, right? How much are you thinking about plugging the car in? Is it, and is that different or worse than thinking about, well, I got to find a gas station to fill it up? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real challenge, and uh, and and again, it's one of the things that I wanted to experience in, in owning uh, the car. I was fascinated by the car, but I look, I, I write a lot about electric cars and and um, and uh, automakers uh, trying to bring that to, to to market, and I wanted to own one uh, as well and just see what that experience is like. And it's a very different experience in uh, the upper Midwest than it is in California. Most most EV sales are in California where you have perfect weather all the time. You know, I, 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 my kids used to live out there and I'd say, what's the weather like? And they said, Dad, you only have to ask once because every day it's 70 degrees and sunny. <laughs> uh, that's ideal weather for, for EVs. You come to this climate and uh, you, get on, you get to uh, 30, uh, consistent 30 degree weather like we have right now, and and you get battery range degradation of thirty percent. Is that right? I mean that is that is substantial, and and that's one reason that I. I so instead a, of three hundred miles, you might get a hundred or two hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking more at uh, you know two twenty, and so that, that's one reason I wanted the the big battery Tesla Model Three, uh, the three ten range instead of the two forty range because um, uh, I'd experienced battery battery degradation uh, testing Chevy Volts and Bolts mm-hmm. in this in this climate. And that and that so that's a very real issue. I, I um, and and so it, it limits your your range. It limits your circumference. And I think uh, that's that's one reason that Tesla has done well, is it's a luxury car. It's bought by households that can afford two, three, four cars. So they use the Tesla as a metro car. But if they need to go to Chicago, if they need to go up north, uh, then they just jump into driving into their else. gas car. Yeah, it has a proper infrastructure. I I, I, I as I said. Uh, coming in, I have family in West Virginia. It, the, the idea of taking a trip to West Virginia and my, my Model Three is daunting. Yeah, because the the where uh, would you infrastructure stop is to, not there. Right, where would you stop to to recharge? Yeah, um, you, you you really have to sit down and plan and your trip. Yeah. And 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 again, Tesla is very Tesla is brilliant about that. Um, I, I think uh, you know a lot of business. School types would have looked at their business model and say, "These guys are building infrastructure." <laughs> Boy, that's an awfully vertical company, but that's that's been really important to their owners. That when they go on the road, there are superchargers out there, and they can plot their trip from supercharger to supercharger. So that's what you do. Yeah. Okay, Henry Payne, auto columnist with the Detroit News. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Stephen, great to be with you. Thanks for coming in. Up next, we're going to talk about how cars shape our cities and how electric vehicles may change the shape of those cities. Uh, Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones. Jack in Boston, Edison, Glenn in Detroit, Mike in Chesterfield. We will get to you next. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about electric vehicles and the electric vehicles that are on display at the North American International Auto Show, as well as the future of the industry, which is being shaped largely by electric vehicles and how they will change our consumption and behavior. Uh, Joining us now to talk a little more about how electric cars may change the cities that we live in is David Dudley. He is the executive editor of CityLab. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Good morning. Yes, uh, you're a self-described Big dumb car nerd, but, <laughs> but you, you know your publication is is one of the most critical of the whole idea of the car and its role in our lives, its role in our cities. Tell me how you reconcile those two things. That's a that's a great question. Uh, I uh, I've I've managed to do so so far. Uh, although perhaps after this conversation, that will come to an end. Um, I mean, I think being a, a fan of uh, automobile culture is also uh, part of that. Is is reckoning with the, the 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 damage that it's done, and you can't write about cities and and, and study cities without. Being acutely aware of how uh, fundamentally in, in irreconcilable uh, cars and, and the personal automobile and, and car infrastructure have been to most American cities. Uh, and, and that includes how uh, parking structures have sort of replaced uh, buildings full of people. Uh, it includes how, how the expense uh, that owning a car adds uh, to city living. And it particularly includes the sort of the, the really kind of um, uh, uh, damaging public health effects, not only in terms of emissions and, and pollution, uh, but uh, in terms of living next to uh, highways. Uh, urban highways were, were kind of punched into most American cities mm-hmm. during the 1960s and 70s. Uh, and uh, in an effort to sort of uh, uh, keep cities economically alive at a time when there was a, a huge boost in, in suburban living and basically get suburbanites to, to go into cities. And uh, that was the, the the logic of the era. And what we're seeing now is, is a lot of cities sort of beginning to understand just how damaging that was, uh, not just for the people who, who were living in the neighborhoods that were demolished uh, for, for those highways to be built, but really for the whole kind of metropolitan area. Um, they uh, highways sort of fundamentally create barriers within cities, and they they economically cut off huge chunks of the city. And they're just they don't really kind of work uh, if you're in, in making a, an urban area that has a mix of people of different different uh, 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 income groups and so forth. Uh, they create huge barriers, and uh, we're still you know seeing the ill effects of that decades later. And a lot of cities, you know, trying to, to remediate that by removing highways now. Yeah. Uh, no place in America, I think, is that more profoundly on display than it is here in Detroit, where sure. we have five major highways that cut through the middle of the city. Uh, I, I am somebody who was born in a neighborhood that was divided by the last freeway that was built here in the in the early 1970s. So it's a, a, a there's no question that that it has left a mark on not just transportation, as you say, but but on culture, on the way we live uh, in cities like Detroit. But but I wonder if you think the move to electric cars, along with some of the other ways that transportation is changing are an opportunity to rethink that, or are they, I guess a better way to state that is, 
if it is an opportunity, are we poised to take advantage of it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of, of uh, uh, expectation that the end of the internal combustion era will allow us to sort of do a reset uh, in terms of thinking about how cars can better serve people who live in cities or, or live around cities. Um, you could see, you know, some of the, the pollution-related impacts to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, improved at least. Um, I don't see it being a dramatic game changer in and of itself uh, to replace uh, an electric Jaguar with a uh, with an internal combustion one. You know, you're still dealing with fundamentally the same kind of business model uh, and the same sort of you know scale and so forth. They're quieter, you know, they're, they they have other advantages, but um, I don't think. Uh, the adoption of EVs alone is is going to fundamentally change the equation. What might is something like the adoption of autonomous vehicles, sure. uh, which is another kind of uh, just around the bend technology that uh, has a lot of people uh, who study cities pretty excited um, because that really sort of opens up a lot of, of opportunities to rethink parking. Uh, so much uh, of the kind of the footprint of American cities is dead space. Uh, there are four parking spaces for every household, in a, even in an older, dense city like Philadelphia. Uh, in Seattle, there are five for every household. Um, so much of our city has basically just been handed over to this machine uh, that is just sitting there. And uh, if, you, if you enter into a world where self-driving technology is, is widely used and these are shared vehicles that don't have to park, uh, that can just sort of go about their business shuttling people around, which is sort of the the fantasy uh, that we've been <laughs> we've been sold in the last couple of years as as these technology companies have have uh, innovated in this space. Uh, you're seeing a world where you don't really have quite as much uh, dependence on on building and maintaining and creating parking space, and that space can be used for people and houses and uh, uh, all the things that. Uh, you know, make cities or uh, God forbid parks or parks. Yes. Or green space. Uh, you know, look at a look at a Google Earth image of Detroit and you'll just see this, this you know, amazing landscape of pavement. Uh, if you can reclaim some of that. Uh, and obviously that's a, a, a Detroit has unique challenges in terms of just the sheer amount of, of space it of has course. consumed. Yeah. But uh, even in very dense cities, uh, you're seeing vast, vast amounts of parking infrastructure that might be repurposed. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is David Dudley. He's the executive editor of City Lab, a self-described big dumb car nerd, uh, but somebody who's also pretty aware of the effect of the car on our cities and the way we live. Uh, we're talking about electric vehicles. We're talking about the North American International Auto Show uh, and the industry's move toward electrification and other forms of technology that may give us an opportunity to rethink the way that cars shape our lives and our cities. Uh, as always, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jack in Boston Edison. Jack, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go um, ahead. One of the things that bothers me is I keep reading that if everyone had an electric car, the grid couldn't handle it. We couldn't produce enough electricity for all of them. But it also, because I am environmentally concerned, mm -hmm. it really doesn't eliminate pollution 
if you're having coal-fired plants produce the electricity. Uh, a great point, Jack, and it's something that I've heard mentioned uh, pretty frequently in criticism of the idea of electric cars. Uh, David Dudley, when we talk about cities and cars and transportation uh, and the effect of cars on, on our cities, pollution is one of the big ones, and especially here in the city of Detroit where we're already dealing with a lot of other things that pollute the air and the water. Sure. Um, uh, this idea, though, that if you move to electric, are you really are you really biting into uh, that that level of pollution, or are you just kind of shifting it around to a, to a different space? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's a complicated one because it really depends on where you are in this in the, the country and where your uh, your grid is is drawing its power from. So in the upper Midwest where you're seeing a lot of, of coal-fired uh, power generation, it is true that uh, you're, you're, you're plugging in your Prius in, uh, in North Dakota is not very clean. Uh, you're, you're basically, you know, it's still uh, better than uh, burning gas in it, uh, but the, um, it doesn't pencil out as much. So if you do that in, in Vermont, say, where, they're having, uh, where they have a huge amount of, of, of the powers generated by hydroelectricity and by renewable sources, it's incredibly clean. Uh, so this question of, of like how how clean EV, EVs are is very much sort of a moving target, and it really depends on how much we can clean up the grid, uh, which means you know moving away from from coal fired plants as fast as possible, which is something we had been doing up until relatively recently. So uh, the the thing that uh, boosters of electric vehicles will often tell you is that the the, the even the the, the mo- most poorest poor performing part of of the U.S is still going to be cleaner than than burning gas in your own car. Uh, and the grid is getting cleaner all the time. You know, the, as, as, as older coal-fired plants are retired and replaced with cleaner, uh, ideally renewable sources uh, such as solar, uh, but even natural gas is, is a lot cleaner. So EVs are, are, are becoming more kind of uh, uh, green as, as the grid uh, improves. Uh, but it does depend a lot on where you are, and it depends on where uh, all sorts of other factors, like when you're charging. Uh, uh, if you uh, create a scenario where basically everyone recharges their electric vehicles at night when the demand in the grid is 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 lower, uh, hmm. it winds up being vastly more efficient. Um, there is some work to be done in most places in terms of can the grid handle that number of cars if you replaced you know millions of cars overnight. Uh, in most places, the grid would not be able to handle it. But in a lot of places, it would, uh, and it really just depends on on where when you time it and and how the uh, how the sort of the strategy for for dealing with that load is. Um, you know, cars are basically uh, electric vehicles are big moving batteries, and um, uh, it really does depend on on when you're you're tapping into that 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 grid to, mm. to to make it most efficient. But it can be done. Uh, there's a lot of research around this, obviously. Uh, right now, EVs are this very tiny, tiny, very insignificant percentage of cars. So there's no real way to, to sort of test this. Uh, but in countries where you are seeing a much bigger rate of EV adoption, uh, it does not seem to be an issue that the, the grid can handle it. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Brett in Ypsilanti. Brett, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I just wanted to add on to the pollution statement. Um, this isn't necessarily for or against, um, but it's an opportunity because with electric vehicles, um, like the caller said, you know, if you have coal, um, but even if you have natural gas, um, you're going to be concentrating the pollution source. 
So right now with cars, it's a non-point source pollution, uh, meaning that it's just transient moving around. It's actually harder to model, harder to measure the impact. Um, so if we did switch to electric vehicles, you would see this concentration of emissions at the point source, at the power plant. And so as long as we're thinking about, um, you know, actually regulating power plants and putting in emission controls and making sure that communities that live around power plants don't bear the burden of this increase in Hmm. electrification, then I think it could be a good opportunity. But worst case scenario, if you adopt a bunch of EVs, concentrate the emissions at an unregulated coal power plant, um, that could be bad. But yeah. just to throw that in there, that there are opportunities. It just depends on what our country does with emissions regulation. Sure, sure. Brett, no, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, quickly, let's get to Mike in Chesterfield. Uh, Mike, I've got about a minute and a half left, but I wanted to get you in here. Hi, I'll try and make it quick. All right, I uh, just wanted to say I, uh, I still own my 2010 uh, Fusion Hybrid. Wow. Love it. It's an wow. amazing vehicle. I was car of the year back in 2010 at the at the auto show, um, and this is uh, this is where I wanted to get up was that uh, hybrids are a great bridge towards getting people into uh, electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 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 making a, a nice leap, but at the same time, you're not worried about things like your range or how it's going to function in cold weather or things like that. And yet, you still get pretty good gas mileage. You're still able to have good environmental benefits as long as you. Uh, minimize your driving and practice more conservative driving techniques and they're just better vehicles overall you get the best of both worlds and it's a good um Hmm. it is essentially a hybrid yeah right (laughs) and uh and thank you yeah mike no i i really appreciate uh the call and the comments Uh, both of those calls uh david dudley i think point us toward the the idea that this is you know this is a challenge but something we can do it's uh if we sort of concentrate on it and, oh, absolutely. and and push in that direction we can get there it's all in the execution okay david dudley executive editor of city lab thanks very much for joining us here on thanks Detroit for having today me. all right uh that's gonna do it for us today remember if you have to miss any of today's show you don't have to miss out you can hear it and you can hear all other past editions of detroit today on the detroit today podcast just go to itunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. Uh, This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. I'll see you then.